Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for this evening, Esther. Hi, I'm Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater. I eat too much. Yay! <laughs> Hi, everybody. It is my great pleasure to be here. I want to thank, um, I think, Susan for asking me to speak, and thank you very kindly for uh, being secretary. I brought pictures. I came in OA in 1983. The pictures are starting to look pretty good, honestly, but I was fatter, so here you go. <clears throat> um, I know this room, I know this church, I know these stairs, I know the restroom, I know the walls, I know the... It's just so nice to be here and, um, and remember who I am and who I am and who I still am and how I changed. I came into OA, like many of you, you know, really desperate, really done, really sick. My mother is a hundred pounder, man. I saw the writing on the wall. I knew where I was going. And um, we used to binge together. She, uh, the founder of the feast, is here. I want to thank Roy for starting the meeting. Um, I want to, you know, my mother uh, will tell you she's been in OA 50 years because she went in. She went a couple times 50 years ago. But um, they had those uh, where you pass around the same tradition in the church where the meeting was. They had these little packets that said "Yes, Father," and she would take the money, I guess, and stick it in the uh, yes, Father envelope, and then we would open it up and binge. So we had a joke, you know, oh, yes, Father. Um, so I, I learned everything I know uh, from her without question. I came by it naturally without question. I always, too, planned my acceptance speech about how I had all these food allergies when I was little. And the truth is I did, but I don't really think it would have made a difference one way or the other whether I was a compulsive reader. I'm definitely a compulsive reader. I eat too much too often, and I can't stop. Um... So the problem was clearly Kentucky. I had to get out of there Um, because they were all heavy, and you guys were tan and good-looking and thin, and I wanted to come out here and be active with you. So I got my Dr. BQ-10, and I drove out here. I knew that I had a problem, okay? I remember being six, and I wrote on a little piece of paper at my grandmother's house, no, and I, like, wrapped it in scotch tape and put it on a little string, and I put it around my neck to remind me not to overeat, you know? And I remember being a part of, a like, a Girl Scout badge kind of thing, and there was candy, and I didn't have the candy that day, and I remember thinking, oh, that's so good. That's so good. You didn't eat. But, you know, it was, it was the 70s, and everybody was on Metrical and all the other name brands. I probably shouldn't mention from here. There was all kind of ideas about how to lose weight. And I just, I don't know. I was little enough, you know. I was always kind of skinny as a kid. I'm lucky I wasn't. Um, I, I was weird shape. There was a kid in junior high that always called me FB. And I asked him what it meant, and he said it meant funky bod. Because I, I, just, don't, I just don't have a waist. You know, I'm all leg. But, um... I was different from the other girls. The other girls were getting pretty, and they were growing up, and I really wasn't. I've had a baby face since I was 35 years old. I got carded everywhere I went. Um, so I moved out here with these cheerleaders who were adorable, and um, it was the 80s, and they wore pumps, and um, 
I had two pair of paratrooper pants that I allowed myself to have. I had one were camouflage green paratrooper pants and one were navy. And, um, you know, you weren't going to miss me in the paratrooper pants. I absolutely uh, would not treat a daughter that way today. I, I know that if nothing else comes to my recovery in a way, I know how to treat myself today. I used to march myself up in front of my closet and say, see this, you can't wear this because your arms are too fat. See that, can't wear that. Uh, this looks terrible on you. This doesn't button. This doesn't zip. You know, and I just go through, and that's how I started my day, and then I put on my paratrooper pants. And, you know, I've never been more than maybe 30 or 40 pounds overweight. I uh, I came in, like I say, I was 20. I just turned 22, so I don't – all I know is that I was fatter than everybody else. I was fatter than everybody else. Everybody else would eat and then go back to whatever they were doing, like even in college – um, they'd order or whatever, and everybody'd have some, and then they'd go back to studying or reading or talking or playing, and there was no go back to for me. When the drug gets in my body, there's nothing that will keep me from continuing a binge. You know, I've driven with two flat tires. I missed my very best friend growing up's wedding. Um, you know, I, I don't have to show up if I'm eating. I really don't have to show up. And sometimes I think I would eat so I didn't have to show up. But... Um, I uh, I was just different. I don't know. They they were all growing up and, and growing out, and I just was so scared. I mean, my mind was racing when I got here. It was like these two girls that I was traveling with were blondes. One was a size 5, one was a size 3. Their mother was a size 1, and she took it in a little bit. And all I know is we'd all go to Good Earth, and they'd eat all this bread, and I'd watch them, and I'd just think, how in the hell – do they do this? And my thing was, I'm, I'll be right back. <laughs> I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. And then you just didn't, who knows how long I would be gone. Um, there was a restaurant in Hollywood that was at the top of a big building, and I took the elevator all the way down to the, to the bottom floor, and I walked on Sunset Boulevard to Gower Gulch, and I got food, and I gobbled it down and ate it on the way back and got in the elevator and went back upstairs and pretended I'd been to the bathroom. You know, that was my thing. And um, we would go to the beach again. I don't tan. I know that now. But uh, it was bad enough to be pale. But uh, I would say, excuse me, I'll be right back. We'll go to the bathroom. And then I remember hitting every little stand on that beach all the way around and, and coming back and laying down on my beach towel. And I would just be like, <gasps> you know, my friend and I drove up the coast when we got out here. And I had to get out of the car and put my head between my knees because I just, I just had too much sugar. I mean, I just couldn't drive. And... Um, and I was dying inside. There were women who were pretty that were around me, and I remember thinking, God, if only. There was even, like, a 2D woman on a uh, billboard in Venice, and I'd get off the freeway and look at her every night when I got off work and just go, oh, I wish I could be her. Like, she's cardboard, but I wish I, wish I could look like Why can't I look like that? I want to look like that. And um, so I was here about a month and a half, and I came to OA. I mean, it took that long. My mother was in OA in, uh, back there. I went to one meeting once. The guy that ran the meeting, there was no literature. There were no chairs. It was in a park. There was a tree. He had a lazy eye. He stood up against the tree. And um, I don't know. I think he asked me questions. And I was, you know, 16, and I was like 16. And I left, and I swore to God I'd never come back. And I think somewhere inside of me, I really wanted to come back. I think I may very well have moved out here to save my life and get back. And I came back. 
And um, I went to the Tuesday night meeting in Santa Monica where you uh, raised your hand and asked a question. And um, a woman came up to me and said, are you new? And I was like, yeah, I'm new. And they said, if you're a compulsive reader, raise your hand. And I did. And you've had me since that night. You know, again, that was probably, well, it was before my birthday. So it must have been September, October 1983. I've been here. I put up chairs. I put up, there was a time children before Starbucks, and we used to make coffee. <laughs> and we used to put it in the back of the room, and that was a commitment that we had. And, um, you know, I, I, I've gotten change for a dollar and stopped and called Richie on, the, on Santa Monica Boulevard because I was going to stop and eat something. I mean, I, I, we had to have, you had to change. You had to go to a payphone. You had to do what you had to do. You had to call information and say, hi, can I have a number for Overeaters Anonymous? O-V-E-R. Eater, no, not over eaters, you know, and then call, and that, you know, so what? It's not any less embarrassing to come and do a meeting for your first time now. It isn't. But I wanted this thing. I wanted this thing. I needed it. I wanted it. I came here. I never left. I never cheated. I never didn't go to meetings. I've been here since then. And um, I would go to that Tuesday night meeting where they asked questions, and I would raise my hand, and I would say, you know, how do you, like, not eat? I, I get the rest of the stuff with the reading, and the, you know, but I couldn't get that. I really couldn't get that. And I, I have to say, I have a difficult time sponsoring people sometimes because these days I just finished my second step writing paragraph by paragraph with my sponsor, and you know, we didn't do that. It was just like to me, my recovery was I just kept throwing things in the bag. It's like, okay, first step, fifth step. Tenth step, okay, be a literature person, be a group rep. Just, you know, throw it all in. And at some point, I, I kind of got my head above water enough that I could say, I think I'm going to be abstinent if I do these things and just kind of, it's been an emergency since I got here. I mean, I've never, <laughs> I've never uh, really <laughs> stopped. So, um, so I decided that. Uh, and I had the chips, you know, the chip, one chip, one day, five days, 30 days, 10 days, 60 days, four days, three days, 10 days, 60 days, 60 days, 10 days, four days. I mean, you know, and at my home meeting, you could only share if you had 30 days of abstinence, which we've changed that rule now. But at the time, um, I never could share. And um, I kept eating, you know, I just keep eating. So um, I took a, a, there's an old timer. There's always old timers. Get in their car. Just get in their car, go with them somewhere, drive them somewhere. And, um, oh, my God, we went way out for 10 somewhere. And I remember him telling me, you know, you're awfully worried about the people in the rearview mirror. Why don't you just watch the road? Uh, another sage comment from an old-timer. But after that evening, I was pretty much in the car the whole hour there and the hour back, just kind of just really trying to get somebody against the wall and say, how do you not eat? And he took me back to his apartment, and he said, well, here's what I do. And he, and he put out a piece of paper, and he said, write down, I'm Zephalat, the cause affects mine. Now, I had read the big book. I knew what that was. But I have to say to you today, 30-something years into this process, abstinent, you know, um, that's like the deal. The answer doesn't change. I went through a time where I, I, I hate losing a sponsor. Damn it, I just I hate it. You know, I had a sponsor for eight years, and I had to get a new one. And, I, oh, I just hate that. You've got to find a new person. You've got to break them in, right? And at the time, I must have had seven or eight different sponsors. And um, they all taught me something. Don't get me wrong. One of them had me read the preamble to each edition of the big book. You know, sponsors do that kind of thing. Read the footnotes. It's like, oh, thank you so much. I'm going to not bench tonight because I read this. <laughs> but, <laughs> 
But I read, I read, I do what they say, I do what they say, and I read the, the, the what do you call it, the foreword to all four editions. And then I went and called her, I said, okay, I did the thing, and she said, well, the answer doesn't change. The answer doesn't change. There's nothing different standing here tonight than there was in 1934. It's the same solution, it's the same program. Um, I just have to do it. I just really have to do it. You know, in Serenity Sunday, they, they have this thing you have to read that says, um, find someone who has the abstinence you would like to have and ask them how they achieved it. And then do that, you know. Do what they tell you. You can't just want what they have. I can't just want what they have. Okay, so here's Esther. She can't stop eating. Um, I went back east for Christmas one year, and I didn't binge. I didn't have, like, that big... You know, all holds barred, head in the blankets, five-day Christmas extravaganza. And I got back here, home, here, and I realized, oh, my God, I didn't binge. And I thought, well, that, if that's not abstinent, I don't know what is, because I've never done that before. I'm going to call that abstinent. And I think I had that abstinence about a year and maybe eight months, maybe less. But I called it the, I'm just doing the best I can, abstinence. (laughs) And what I found in that time was that for me, and I cannot say this with more conviction, you know, I, I can't eat sugar. You know, I can't eat sugar and have life and have meals. I, I couldn't do it. There's something about my makeup, my chemistry. I And, you know, you can spend a lot of time thinking over why that's not fair and that doesn't make sense and that shouldn't be the case. But if I just swallow that, I can't do it. There's people out there that can do it. They do it. They make it look good. You know, I can't do it. They do it on TV. They all do it on TV. I can't do it. If I can just swallow that teaspoonful of truth, horrible, sad, you know, life-altering truth. I came in OA in 1983. I was worried about my wedding cake because you've got to eat it, you know. Um, I got married in 2010. <laughs> For the first time, my husband and I both, first-timers, we had a ball. And we figured out a way that I didn't have to do it, you know. It was actually really clever. I'll tell you about it when I'm not on the clock. But um, <laughs> it was fine. I could abstain without worrying about that, you know. I mean, had time. Um, but so crap. Here I am, and I can't eat sugar. Well, the first time you hear that, that is just so sad that you really want it to not be true. And I tell you, I really tried everything. I really tried everything. I've been out there trying everything, you know, and I couldn't do it. And at one point, I failed at how you could fail three times with one sponsor. I failed. I went through three sponsors. So I failed nine times. And then finally, the last person said, you know, Esther, let's just find a way for you to eat so that you can live. And I worked with her for a long time, and she was terrific, and she got me abstinent. Um, there was still a time, again, I'm convinced now, I've read the book several times, I've gone to the, the workshops now, and the, and the retreats, and um, now I really know that I need to stop this, and I, and I still can't do it. And she said, well, you know what, Esther, you've done your part. You've done everything you're supposed to do. Get on your knees in the morning and beg for it to stop. Get on your knees at night, beg for it to stop, and the rest of it's up to God. Sometimes I think sugar puts you down when it's done with you. That's what she said. And in my case, that was the truth. One day at a time, it put me down. I don't know why I had been spared. But um, the story goes like this. It never changes. I was going to bed one night, and um, my head was 
laying back on the pillow, and right before it hit the pillow, I thought, holy goodness, I did not eat sugar today. Just like I forgot, you know. It was it was amazing. So I didn't tell a soul. Oh, my gosh, I had so many chips. Uh, I wouldn't tell anybody. I didn't take a chip for that abstinence until I was two years abstinent. It was like I finally took a candle. Um, and that was, uh, I, the math says that I was abstinent the first night was February 14th, 1987. I haven't had sugar since February 14th, 1987. You know, I've had cornbread, I've had ketchup, I've had this and that, but I haven't done that. And I'm telling you that I'm someone that can't make it to the car. My car's on Bundy. I can't get there from this podium. No kidding. Can't be done. How is this possible that this happened? It's a miracle. It's a miracle that you can work for and you can sort of deserve and you can miss. You can miss it. But I do believe that there is grace in this program. I, uh, I am amazed by this grace because I don't know. I've worked with all, you know, worked with enough people having sponsors and being sponsors that, you know, I think sometimes some of us don't get well. You know, some of us go back out there. And, and some of us, uh, look, I've been here long enough that I've seen people say things that I thought were great ideas from the podium. And I was going to go and do that. You know, and I know hell, I never saw them again. I'm cussing up a storm. I'm so sorry. Um, they could not have been more clear. Um, so... I haven't eaten sugar since then. And um, wouldn't it be great if life was just awesome? What I have found (laughs) is that I really have been called to live my life under these circumstances. There is a very acute spiritual imperative to being a compulsive overeater, you know, for me. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And um, and there are those people that'll just man, they would just stick it in your mouth if you would let them. It's try it, try it, try it, try it, try it, try it. it. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) And I'm every bit as crafty about eating it. I'm every bit as crafty about not eating it as I was about eating it. I'll say, oh, it was great. Thank you. Oh, best I've ever had. Thank you. So so good. I'll just go get a cup of coffee and just kind of talk about how great it was, and they'll they'll leave you alone. Um, if that happens. <laughs> but uh, I have had to acknowledge who I really am. And that, that's actually been kind of hard. And that, that's been like the last, oh gosh, 15 years or so. I've been um, changing. And uh, I really thought I was really, gosh, you guys, you know what this, what this program does. It's, a really, it's really difficult mentally for me to go from who I was And to look at that from that point of view and decide that I want to get to here, you know, it just didn't click. There was no way it could happen. You know, I was was a secretary. I was somebody's secretary. I was always somebody's uh, sidekick. Uh, I have a history of being my best friend, having a different best friend. You know, I'm I'm always uh, a sidekick forever. And, uh, And I'm great at helping. I always thought I'd be a great politician's wife. You know, because I'm, I'm a real helper. Well, turns out that's passive aggression. And um, I, I don't have the luxury of doing that. I've had to face all those situations in my life where I'm the guy 
that's trying to be helpful and hating you because you're not a good enough leader. You just aren't good enough. And uh, I have had in so many areas of my life to just get down on the playing field and play. I sat in the benches for years watching you have relationships and judging you and, oh, my gosh, you shouldn't do that and this is not appropriate and you've got to get a neutral place. You can't live together in his place. You, you know, all these rules. And I'm Southern. I've got rules. And, um, and yet uh, I never got on the field. You know, I needed this much space between me and you. If the guy was kind of uh, one of those guys that caused you too much, I'd just go over here. And if it was one of those guys that was just kind of out of reach, you know, that, that's what I wanted. I wanted that much space. And it was inventory that encouraged me to move out of that very comfortable spot that I was in in my life where there were no challenges and I didn't have to answer any questions or lead ever. And it's been bumpy. It's been very rocky and very bumpy, but I have done it. And... Um, one day at a time, I don't have to kill myself with food. So, so I'm a real low-bottom sugar addict. I, I'm sorry. But when I got abstinent in 1987, the, um, the technology was not what it is today. Uh, I think we had sugar-free pudding, you know, maybe. And um, I, I bought a condo in 2003. And I don't know why this is the case, but I had lived in a little apartment in Santa Monica for 18 years, and um, I was never going to get married, clearly, so I bought a condo. And all I remember was I was up in way the hell out in the valley somewhere, and I was getting a, um, I was trying to get to Venice to get to a best friend's birthday party, and it took, you know, how long on a Saturday did it take? Anyone. <laughs> An hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my helicopter. So, um, <laughs> So I was late, and uh, we went to this restaurant. We had dinner, and all I know is that between the restaurant and the place where we opened the presents, I decided, really apropos of nothing, that I would stop and have some sugar-free fill-in-the-blank. And it was okay. It wasn't like it was illegal. It wasn't part of my – it wasn't like I couldn't have it. But i got to tell you, that was 2003. I have struggled with that pretty much ever since, and it's been awful. It's been awful. And – I just wanted to be free recently. I just wanted to be free again. You know, um, I wish that one part of my story that it is. I can't do that either. I can't do that today. If you can and if you can eat sugar, great. Go. Enjoy. But that day when the book falls open and the truth about me was there, I didn't really have any other choice but to, A, kill myself with food in a very unattractive way um, and not fast. Great. Or to... uh, just hit your knees. And, you know, I lost a job. I lost a couple of jobs. But uh, recently, I had two really big blows in the last, gosh, three years. And my sponsor, I lost my job. I called my sponsor. What do you think she said? You want her to say, oh, Esther, that's terrible. That's not what she said. She said, look up in the sky and say, thank you, God, for the humility to learn from this. How comforting. Um, but I did. I did learn from it. And you know what, you guys? We're not in this. It's not a soft core deal. You know, they're not kidding when they tell us in the big book that this is a, a spiritual... Look, the big book says the alcoholic is a tornado in the lives of the people that they love. And I was, and I still often am, even in abstinence. Why should my recovery be a tornado? It's going to be a tornado. You know, it is. It's everything. It's every belief. It's everything I held dear. It's the whole, gosh, the whole higher power thing changed completely from what I came in with um, 
to what works today. And there were times when I didn't know what it was, and I would go to the store and buy a mustard seed. I mean, I literally would take a mustard seed and say, this is all I need, you know. There was a time when there was an unbelievable political situation that worked out to my liking, and I thought, well, that's a miracle. You know, that's a higher power right there. So um, I have been spared. I wish I could give you a pill or a shot and tell you what I did, but all I can describe for the last, certainly the last three or four years, I've been, you know, unemployed. I start a job next week, and, um, oh my goodness, here I am, newly married. My best friends left me on my wedding day. They were just, like, so mean. You just wouldn't even believe it. It was, like, from a movie, and um, every day I would wake up in this pit, and, like, there'd be this little filament of string just kind of hanging in, and I just grabbed it, and it broke off a lot of times, and sometimes you'd pull yourself up almost to the rim, and then it breaks off, but that's the deal. Keep coming back. Continue to take personal inventory. Continue. Do it, and then continue to do it, and I'll tell you what else is not good news. Um, (laughs) All the scaffolding that it took to get me out of there is still required today. Now, I have a second for every year I'm abstinent that I get to not put it in my mouth without thinking. That's what they tell me. I mean, if it's however many seconds it is, that's what I get. And then after that, all bets are off. But um, the world's record for abstinence is one day. You know, I got one day. You got one day. And um, it's a very uh, important job that you have to do. It's a very important job you have to do to abstain. It's a very important job to come to a meeting and give a newcomer what you have. It's it's such service. You, yeah, can be the secretary and you can do this and that and show up at intergroup meetings, which are very exciting. But you you really need to just come to a meeting, in my view. That's the service. That's the service. Butt in the chair. Recovery comes through the butt. Butt in the chair. Um, <laughs> that is not going to go over well on the tape. But, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. And um, come, come, come to the meeting. Sit in the chair. Listen to the meeting. Don't text. Don't fool with your purse. Listen, listen, listen. Fold up your chair and go home. Next day, come back. Open your chair. Sit in your chair. Listen, listen, listen. Don't text. Don't count your money. Fold your chair. Go home. Next day, same drill. Over and over and over until a miracle happens. Who knew? You know. So I have scraped the cantaloupe as clean as I think I can tonight. That's all I've got. And um, I am really grateful to be asked. And um, just so glad you guys are getting better with me. Thank you very kindly. Do, do I do anything further? Okay. Questions or shares? Who would like questions, to questions. questions? Who would like to ask a question? What is your abstinence exactly? What is your abstinence exactly? Today my abstinence is three meals, uh, nothing in between, but I can have a floating snack that is a fruit that I either have with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. I can kind of just stretch that out and have it somewhere. You can get me on tape talking about no snacks in between meals. That if I'm going to plan whether I need a snack or not, I need one. You know, but for me now at age fill in the blank. I I have very reluctantly given in to needing a snack sometimes. Um, again, I did it for years. But uh, I also eat a food plan, which is basically a carb for breakfast, a protein, a fruit. I think it's like half a carb for breakfast. And then lunch is uh, usually a sandwich and a piece of fruit, 
two carbs and a big salad or a sandwich and a piece of fruit. Dinner is a carb and a piece of fruit and two vegetables or a vegetable and a salad and a piece of protein and meat. Nuts turns out, you know, back in the old days when Spencer was my sponsor, I would call and say, Spencer, what's a serving of nuts? And he said, Esther, the nuts are in the cat's litter box. <laughs> but for today, I seem to be okay with that. Um, okay. Uh, just another story while you're thinking of your question. I was friends with Roseanne, and um, we all talk about Gray Sheet. Well, Gray Sheet had, there was something you could have, you could have a hot dog. There was serving. They would list all the things you can have that are protein. And hot dogs was on there, but I, for my life, I couldn't remember if it was how many hot dogs. It felt like one was just not enough. So I ran into her at uh, Serenity Sunday. And, oh, Roseanne, how are you? Uh, what was Gray Sheet? Was it two hot dogs or one? And she said, you know, I don't remember. And I saw her nine months later, and across the room, she went, <laughs> she held out her hands and went, two. And it was like, she remembered, you know. That was great. How do you define your higher power? How do I define my higher power? Anything can happen. I'm in more day-to-day touch with it, he, she, her, it, than usual in the last, because I've been so sick and desperate the last couple of years, uh, where I do the thing in the morning where I actually pray on my knees. Your knees, God doesn't need to know that I'm humble. He knows. It's just the one position that'll shut your head up. You can do your knees or like the lotus position and your head will stop talking. So I do address my higher power on my knees and I say, all the things that I'm worried about right now, um, and I read I read a bit of the big book, but um, but it's not very complicated like it used to be. And by the way, it's been everything, you know, everything. So right now, that's what it is. Please. You say you were kind of a tornado. That's a good question. He said, um, I said I was a tornado with the eating. Does that ever stop? That's a really good question. I can say this. I was told by a sponsor once that compulsive action stops much more slowly. Wait, compulsive action stops much more quickly than compulsive thinking. So there's still a tornado in there, but I don't act on it one day at a time. I first learned to pause. If you have trouble, by the way, eating when you don't want to, you just call somebody afterward is, is how you learn how to do that. You say, oh, I did it again. And then the next time you're embarrassed, and eventually you stop it. But um, I don't have to act on the tornado. What about relationships? Did that tornado affect relationships? The question was, what about relationships? Did the tornado affect the relationships? Yes, very much. The saddest thing to come out of my fourth step inventory was that every time I was attracted to someone of the opposite sex, I ignored them. And that was very heartbreaking for me. In my 40s, wanting to get married more than anything in the world, wanting to have a partnership, to look at the actual steps that I took to bring someone into my life were cockamamie. The recovery that comes through the 12 steps solves my emotional problems with other people, for sure. Um, But, you know, it's just, I think for me, it's just, it's the spiritual awakening that happens in the 12th step. It just kind of, for me, it just kind of happened. I wish I could um, go to a 
forum or something and learn about it, but it just kind of, I just kept doing the things. The disease covers all angles. The recovery covers, covers all angles. The disease touched everything. It touched my family, my life, my body, my spiritual thing, my emotional thing, my friendships. The recovery covers everything to me. And um, there's also help to be had outside the room. So thank you guys so much.